Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. Uh, it's great to worship God together as a church family, and it's great to be able to dive deep into God's Word. And that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. I encouraged you last week, and I want to keep encouraging you. We're in a series we're calling Prison Letters, and it's the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Philippians, the book of Philippians. And what we're encouraging you to do is we're going to be slowly stepping through Philippians. Why don't you go through it on your own at home? Read through it a couple of times each week. Read maybe some different translations. Maybe check some commentaries out. You get to know Philippians maybe even better than you're hearing on a Sunday. Study it. Know it. Find some scripture from Philippians as well that really stands out that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you through. Memorize that. Share that with your family groups. Tell them what you're getting out of Philippians, even outside of Sunday mornings. And then we'll know Philippians kind of forward and backwards. And it's a great, encouraging book. A lot of the letters that Paul writes are kind of rebukes and corrections to the different churches he writes to. And this one is mostly just an encouragement. And so be encouraged by it as we're in this prison letters series. And so what's been great is Pastor Josh two weeks ago talked about the importance of sharing the gospel as we looked at Philippians 1, 1 through 6. And then last week we kind of asked this question, what are you living for? What are you living for? And this week, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. And why don't we just read through that completely now, and then we'll go back through it, kind of taking it apart, looking at it uh, kind of deeper on each level. So Philippians 1, 27 to 30 says this. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed. But you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Why don't you pray with me? Jesus, I pray that you would use this scripture, this first chapter of Philippians, to speak to us. I pray that you would give us insight and wisdom from this letter. I pray that maybe areas of our lives that we need to change, that we would change because of your word and what you are telling us. Lord, I also pray that this week that you would give us focus, uh, energy, commitment to read through Philippians on our own. And I pray that as we do so, your spirit would meet with us and minister to us and that we would get much out of your word. And so I just pray this all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. So Philippians 1, starting in verse 27, and we're just going to kind of go through it slowly and pick it apart. Verse 27, just the first half says, Above all, you must live of, as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. 
Many of you know this, but it's a blessing. This church allows me to once a year go to a seminar and training. And the seminar that I go to, I go to a conference in England called Naturally Supernatural. And when I'm there, it's the most encouraging, life-giving, spirit-filling time of my year. It kind of gives me, for lack of a better term, spiritual energy to get through the rest of the year. I go there. I focus on God. I have extended time without distraction. It's fantastic, and it's great. But something that's interesting when I'm there is I'm always keenly aware that I'm in a different place. England is this nation that we're separated by a common language. And we see these things all the time. Culturally, there's similarities, but we are not in the same place. I'm going to give you two examples. Uh, One, we went to a pub for lunch. And there was a group of guys and we had to get back to the conference as quickly as we could. And so we asked, this chicken sandwich came, and the conference is starting in like five minutes, and we've got to hoof it back because we don't want to miss anything. That's why we're there, for goodness sakes. And so we asked them to get it to go. Now let me explain something about English culture. You don't get anything to go. If you go to a restaurant and you don't finish your meal, it stays there. You don't get a doggy bag to bring it home. Do you get what I'm saying? What in the world's a doggy bag? You talk about cultural oddities. You ever think about the things that we do and call it a doggy bag? That's really weird, okay? So anyway, we asked for a doggy bag, and the lady looked at us like we had two heads and walked back into the kitchen. It was gone a long time. She comes back out of the kitchen, and she has the plate, the ramekins, the silverware, and everything wrapped up with tin foil and hands it to Vince, and we walk out with the full heavy plate, cutlery and all. You get what I'm saying? And we walk back to the conference. It's a weird separation of cultures. We're saying the same things, we're using the same languages, but the words don't always mean the same thing. We were in the same pub a year later, and we're eating lunch, and we didn't have any silverware. And so we asked the waitress quickly, can we get some silverware so we can eat? And the lady sitting next to us, who we recognize from the conference, starts laughing inappropriately. Like we said, the craziest thing that's ever happened. And then she started mocking us out loud. She said, oh, silverware. La-di-da, is the the queen coming for dinner? And we're like, what is she talking about? Apparently, silverware is only for silver. I mean, it makes sense when you think about it. But we apparently call everything silverware. So we asked her very kindly, well, then what in the world do you call it? And she says, cutlery. You need cutlery. Okay? We're separated by a culture. Our language is the same. But when I'm over there, I am not a citizen of England. I am a guest over there. I think this is what Paul is talking about when he's talking about earth and he's talking about what we go through. He says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. When I'm in another place, I'm always keenly aware that I might be the only American that individuals ever meet. They think they know what a citizen of America is by watching movies and Hollywood and television shows and media and the news. And I assure you, I'm not like most of those things. You're not like most of those things. A lot of those things are stereotypes. A lot of those things are overblown. They don't know what American even is. So when I'm on trains or when I'm traveling on a plane, I try to be conscious not to be way overly loud and obnoxious. Because they think all Americans are loud and obnoxious. And I am, but I try not to be. 
You hear what I'm saying? Because I'm traveling and I'm a guest in their nation and I am representing Americans. I'm representing the United States. And I say all that to say because I think this is exactly what Paul is getting to. He says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. If you went to your co-workers and you said, by the way, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, what would they say? Would they be shocked? Man, I had no idea they loved Jesus. Would they be upset? Would they be appalled? Or have you been living as a citizen of heaven? Have you been loving people? Have you been caring about your neighbor? Do you say kind things? Or are you the one stirring up gossip? Are you the one stirring up controversy? Are you living as a citizen of heaven? Heaven is your home. To God is whom you belong. Are you living that way? Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Peter talks about it kind of this way. It's connected. Roll with me for a second. 2 Peter 3, 11 to 14, it says, Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, What holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless In his sight. We are citizens of heaven. We are representing Jesus. When you interact with folks, you might be the only Jesus they ever meet. As a citizen of heaven, you might be the only citizen of heaven they ever meet. When I travel worldwide, I might be the only real, true blooded American. That they ever meet. And I'm representing the United States. I want the best foot forward. Do you hear what I'm saying? And that's something small. In the end, who really cares? But as a citizen of heaven, you are representing Jesus Christ. You are representing heaven. And are you representing him in a way that brings God glory? Are we bringing a bad name to Jesus himself? So here's the thing. Make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Pastor David and I, we go, uh, and actually even with Pastor Kirby, we go on Wednesdays and we do mentoring with students at Lincoln Middle School. And we do this once a week, and I meet with the student, and what we usually end up doing is we play some type of board game, and I check in with them, how are you doing? Are you staying out of trouble? How are your grades? How is life? And I just listen offer advice when I can, but I'm just there to meet with and to listen and be there for my student. And I love this student, but here's what happens to my student. And I'm not going to use his name. I'm not trying to make fun of the student. I'm just trying to explain what my typical Wednesday looks like. I was walking down the hallway with the student one week, and I was like, you've been staying out of the trouble this week? And this lady walks by and said, no, he's not. <laughs> he's always finding trouble. And I think sometimes, as citizens of heaven, we can do the same because we pick the wrong fights to have. 
I was chatting with him this last week, and he got kicked out of school for like a day or two because he got in trouble during standardized testing. The teacher told him, if you finish up your test, I need you to sit there, maybe put your head down. You can read, but just be quiet and don't mess with anyone around you. But apparently he couldn't handle that. He picked the wrong battle. It was time to slam his laptop down and walk around and make tons of noise. So he got kicked out and kicked out of school for a day or two. He picked the wrong battle. I just want to say, buddy, keep your head down. Go to sleep. All you had to do was sleep and you wouldn't have gotten kicked out of school. Like, pick your battle. And I love this kid, and he's a great kid, and we're just trying to sort through some of those things. But I think as citizens of heaven trying to follow Jesus, right? Peter says it's all going to go down. It's all going to melt away. It's all going to be gone, and a new heaven and a new earth is coming. And he says, and dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. There's times to battle. There's things that are worth fighting for. But outside of those things, are we peaceful? Are we representing Christ? Are we trying to bring peace about? Are we trying to bring about the kingdom of heaven, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Live a life worthy of Christ, citizens of heaven. So listen, we're still in verse 27, if you can believe it. Verse 27, we cut in half. So the second part of verse 27, after we talked about being a citizen of heaven and living a life worthy of the calling of Christ, right? He says, then whether I come and see you again and only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fitting together for the faith, sorry, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Now, if you've been coming to the tabernacle for a while, we talk about unity quite a bit. We feel like God has given us kind of a vision for unity and what unity can be in this city and in this county that we can accomplish more for the kingdom of God when we're doing it with other churches, fellow believers. We want to see Jesus made great in Kenosha. We're all about it. But what's fascinating about this passage that we just read, it seems as if unity is the point, not just a byproduct of doing good things. He's saying, be a good citizen of heaven, right? Representing Christ so that you will be unified, so that you will be together. It's not, it's not just an afterthought. Unity is just this pleasant idea that may come about, but so that he will find you unified. So that he will find you together and as one. He tells us in another passage, Ephesians 4, verse 3. He wrote to the church in Ephesus, Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Unity is not optional. It's something he pushes us towards. It's not an afterthought, but it is, in fact, the goal. Unity is important. Here's what's interesting. I think about this, and I don't say this to embarrass family, but any of you that have kids, we got some people out here that have kids. There was one night Jessica and I were going out, and we were going to leave the kids home alone for a little while. And we left, and we didn't get far. We got down the road maybe like three minutes, five minutes. We had to turn around and get something. We opened up the door to go get whatever it was. I don't even remember what it was we forgot. But we opened up the door to get whatever we had, and there's like screaming and crying going on in the house, right? 
We turned our back for one second, and our children are fighting. I don't say that to embarrass them. I fought with my brothers like crazy. We all fight with siblings. I totally get it. But like we blinked for one second, and it turned into a nightmare. Do you hear what I'm saying? Those of you with kids, you know what's up. This is what he's talking about here. He's saying, if you live as citizens of heaven, right, you do the things that bring honor to Jesus, the result then, you'll be able to have unity. You fight for that unity. Otherwise, it just goes into disarray. Otherwise, it just becomes chaos, and you blink for one second, and the kids are fighting. He goes on, verse 28, just stepping through it. He says, don't be intimidated in any way By your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed. But if you are going to be saved, sorry, but that you are going to be saved even by God Himself. Don't be intimidated. I read that and I think easier said than done, but think about who's saying that and under what authority He's saying that. Remember, these are letters from prison. He's appealed to go before Caesar, and Caesar is going to decide, literally, whether or not Paul lives or dies. And as we mentioned last week, he's going to decide that Paul dies. So you talk about the street cred of such a statement. Do you hear what I mean? It's one thing for Matt to be like, listen, don't be intimidated. Plus, sometimes we read this and we think it's kind of just like good advice. Do you hear what I mean? Like it's good advice, like... Be courageous, be humble, like we're just listing different virtues we can have. But that's not what he's saying here, because he's in the depth of it. He's literally a prisoner at this moment for Christ Jesus, waiting for Caesar to decide his very own fate. Can you imagine going up in front of Caesar and letting your court case be heard? You will be so nervous. Some of you don't even want to come up and say one little thing on the microphone up front. It's nerve-wracking, right? And I'm not mocking that. There's different things that people are afraid of. But he says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. How in the world do we pull that off? But he says it even for good purpose. So even what Paul's going through, even what you're going through, if it's for Jesus, it says, this will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed. If in those moments when you should be terrified, if in those moments when you should be scared out of your mind, but you're standing up for Jesus, you're standing up for what's right, you're going up against the system that's trying to take you down, you're doing what's right for Jesus and you know it, the Holy Spirit will be there with you. Don't be intimidated in any way, and you're kind of puffing up, and most of the time puffing up in arrogance is bad. But when you're standing up for Jesus in a moment when you should be terrified, it lets them know that they're the ones that are going to be destroyed. It lets Caesar know when he's sitting there, he's the one that's actually in trouble. Yeah, you think you're just deciding the fate of one religious zealot who might be crazy, but really he's not scared of you. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. And sometimes it's right then and there. Sometimes it's in those moments. And sometimes it's part of a larger picture. Because if you look at it in that moment for Paul, Paul does lose. And Caesar wins. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
But in terms of the larger picture of the move of God, of God having his way, of Christianity, for goodness sakes, sweeping the Roman world, God wins and Caesar loses. And I think sometimes we're afraid and we're nervous and we're fearful. But if we're doing what God says, if what God is directing us, it shows them that they will lose. It shows them how in the world is Matt not terrified out of his mind in this moment? How in the world are you not quaking in your boots? Because you're standing up for what is right. Because you're doing what God himself wants you to do. Connected to this passage, Paul is encouraging Timothy. He's writing in his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. In those moments, when God is pushing you to share the gospel, to share your faith, to encourage others, to stand up against oppression, to stand up for what's right, in those moments, being led by the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit's got power. The Holy Spirit's got strength. The Holy Spirit's got wisdom. We don't have a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. In those moments, God is with you. In those moments, there's other passages that talk about a peace that passes understanding. How in the world are you calm in this moment? How in the world do you have it together in this time and in this situation? How in the world is Paul not freaking out when he's writing this letter? But he's not. God didn't give him a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. God is good. God is so good. This one's harder. He goes on. Paul kind of flips the script on us a little bit. He says this in Philippians 1.29. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, which is a privilege, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Let me tell you this. I don't like to suffer. I don't like to suffer at all. I like things easy. I like things simple. I like it when they line up. I would like to retire soon, if I'm honest with you. Yeah. We got some other folks that want to retire. Those of you that are retired, I'm so jealous. I know it's not always simple when you're there either. I'm just saying what I want. I don't want to suffer, and I want it to be easy. But Paul is pointing to something. He's pointing to Matt. That's not the way to go. That's not the right way to live or the way to even see life. We may want it to be easy, but there's actually a privilege in suffering. Jesus died for us. We can't be right with God without what Jesus did. Not on our own, not through the things that we did. And Jesus, who was perfect, came and suffered for us. And when we suffer, it connects us to Jesus himself. He saved us. He died for us. But when we suffer, we are connected with Jesus himself. It is a privilege It is an honor to suffer for Jesus. This is a hard thing and a hard concept to understand. Interesting thing, Timothy here. uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, right after he talked about not having a spirit of fear, this is the very next verse. He says this, Never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of. Of the good news. 
It's a privilege to suffer for Jesus. It's a privilege to suffer for Christ and to be right alongside him. And that's a weird way of thinking, and it goes against kind of the way that most of us have been brought up to think, but it's actually a privilege. It's an honor to be counted that way. Jesus will remember it. Paul tells us to run the race as to win the prize. Jesus sees us when he suffers, and he knows what we go through, and we're to count it as a privilege. This is connected to the next verse as we kind of wrap up this section of Philippians. Paul writes this, he says, we are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past and you know that I am still in the midst of it. This is a wild thought. So Paul was writing this letter to the church in Philippi from Rome at a specific time, at a specific place, in a specific culture. And it should be read as such, but in addition to that, what's amazing is it holds up in 2020. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that when we suffer, when we struggle, when we step out for Jesus and live for him, and it brings pushback, when we do the things that he's calling us to do and we know it's not going to go over well, but we know that's where the Holy Spirit is leading us and we suffer for it, we're suffering even with Paul. We are in this struggle together and you have seen my struggle in the past and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Something happens, I think, and it's not helpful When we think of the saints of old, right, we even use the words like apostles, and we put people on pedestals from the scripture like they're so beyond anything we could possibly imagine. But let me tell you about this. Paul was a human being. Peter was a human being. Saint just means someone that's trusted in Jesus. If Jesus has saved you, you are a saint. When we suffer, it connects us to all the saints of old who have also suffered. It connects you to all the saints here who are currently suffered, and we suffer together. What a crazy thought. Think about this. Think about people who serve in the military, veterans, for example. War is not good. War is not pretty. It brings about terrible things. People get hurt. People die. People are killed. It's a terrible thing. But think about veterans and their comrades. Think about veterans and their fellow soldiers, right? That got this camaraderie that is unbelievable. Because they went to hell and back. Because they were in the midst of it and got through it together. Because they suffered together. Think about other movements that have been hard, maybe civil rights movements, things like that. They wanted things to change in the civil rights movement, and they're glad some of those things did change in the civil rights movement. But what in the world, the the unity and the togetherness that it brought those that walked through fire together. It binds you together. And I think this is what Paul is getting at in verse 30. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past. And you know that I am still in the midst of it. When you suffer for Jesus, you're suffering with Paul. You're suffering with Jesus himself. You're suffering with the rest of us who are indeed or may be suffering for Jesus as well. It's to be a blessing that's a hard thing to wrap our minds around. 
It's a blessing to suffer for Jesus, and we suffer together. As I kind of wrap up this morning, I want you to consider, are you living a life worthy of the good news of Christ? Are you living a life worthy of the good news of Christ? You are a citizen of heaven representing Jesus himself. Paul and ultimately Jesus are calling us to something greater, a life that points to him, that pleases him, living a life of the gospel and sharing. Is that the life that we're living? And I think maybe doing some soul searching this week would be really, really helpful. Dive deep into Philippians this week. See what God is speaking to you through it. Listen to his Holy Spirit as he guides and directs you. And why don't you stand this morning as I pray a blessing for you. God is good. He's worthy to suffer for. That suffering is even a blessing. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I pray for everyone that's here. First, I pray that we could focus on you this week, that your spirit, I pray that your spirit would make, Lord, make yourself aware to us. May we know that you're with us, that we're not walking alone. May we know that you're aware of all that we're going through and living and doing. And Lord, may you guide and direct us. Help us to live a life that's worthy of the good news of Christ. Help us to realize that we're citizens of heaven and that we represent you. Strengthen us, empower us, give us wisdom that we desperately need. Jesus, we say that we love you and that we need you. Thank you for all that you do and thank you that you love us. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.